Say good evening, welcome. Greet you in Jesus' precious name again. Thank you for coming out, young people. Thank you for your faithful attendance. Thank you for bringing friends. Welcome visitors. I wonder, I wonder if the scriptures have something to say to young people. I wonder if the scriptures speak to young people's needs. You think they do? Amen. But we have to look for it. We have to seek it. We have to find it. And then we have to apply it. So what you hear tonight, it is your responsibility to apply. It's your responsibility to apply. So here we are on a Saturday evening speaking to the youth. And there's a lot of non-youth here. Welcome. Because I think there's something that you can gather from this. We can't have youth without parents, so there you have it. So here we are on a Saturday night, and so there's three more sermons to go, and I have so much that I would have liked to share that I'm not able to, and so we leave that in God's hands. We do. But tonight, turn with me to 2 Samuel, or 1 Samuel chapter 16. So I said last night we, we finally got David anointed, didn't we? Took a whole week. We finally got David anointed. So anyhow, we're going to go back to those, those couple of verses. Oh, I want to look at something here. So here we have, if you weren't here, here this week, the theme this week is, is the heart. And we've been talking about that a bit. And we find that here in the scripture, this is where, where David is anointed. Samuel was sent to anoint out of Jesse's family. He didn't know which one it was. We finally found him last night. He is a young fella. But we want to start in verse 6. And it came to pass, when they were come, that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord is anointed before him. That's man's observation. And then in verse 7, God has something to say about that. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For some reason or another, he refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance. But the Lord looketh on the heart. So think about that. The Lord looketh on the heart, and he found, he found David last night, and he anointed him. Now the question to you young people, did God make a good choice? Did God make a good choice? Just that little skinny boy out of the field comes running in, still dirty, snotty nose and all, and they get the anointing horn out and they go, Samuel says, this is the one, and he anoints it. Was, was that even a good choice? Somebody? Yes, thank you, good, there's parents here. He says yes, but how do we, how do we know it's yes? Does the Bible say that God made a good choice? Well, it really does. Let's look at First Samuel 18. First Samuel 18. Yes, God made a good choice. Why, we have a young boy here. The Bible says this young boy named David, verse 5. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him. And he did something interesting here, and he behaved himself wisely. Now, that's not very popular today, to have young people behaving themselves wisely. That's not popular today. And I'm glad you're here so we can talk about that. He, didn't, he, didn't, he, didn't, he behaved himself wisely. And not just that. Verse 14. And David behaved himself wisely, in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Now that sounds like a pretty good choice. But we're not done yet. Verse 15. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. Did you ever see that before? 
Yes, God made a good choice. He did not only behave himself wisely. He behaved himself wisely in absolutely everything he did as a young boy in the presence of Saul, not in the presence of his parents. You see that? He's living in the palace. And he behaves himself so very wisely that he convicted Saul of his wrongful ways and he hated him. So therefore, when we behave ourselves wisely, young people, we're noticed. The world takes notice and it steps on the, friend, on the toes of our friends who are not living wisely, who are not behaving themselves wisely. Yeah, it hurts when we're convicted by our friends when we know what we ought to do and we do it not. But our friend is, and God is blessing him, and he's behaving himself wisely, and when he behaves himself wisely, I despise him because I ought to be doing that, and I am not. Well, this is the king we're talking about. We're talking about King Saul, who was convicted by a little boy who played a harp. God made an excellent choice for the king of Israel. But it didn't happen overnight. There was some growing to do, some teaching to do, some learning to do. But the Bible tells us what he's looking for. The Bible tells us what he's looking for tonight, and we're, we're getting here. We're getting to where we want to go. The Bible tells us what he's looking for in young people. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 22. So the message tonight is entitled, A Man to Stand in the Gap. A Man to Stand in the Gap. God is telling us exactly what he is looking for in young people, young men and young ladies, what he is expecting of them, and we're going to try to, to take a look at that tonight. The subject overall is youth with convictions. Now that's a frightening word, but that's the subject matter, is youth with convictions, and whenever we say convictions, the youth usually like to turn it off. Because that's a frightening word. It's hard to live up to expectations and it's hard to live up to convictions. It's a challenge today. It's a challenge in these, these, living in these times. Ezekiel chapter 22, we're going to get here, in verse 30. This is Ezekiel, God speaking through Ezekiel, God speaking to Ezekiel, and he's listing all the sins of Jerusalem, the debauchery and the, the wickedness, and Israel didn't really care, the, the God's people didn't even really care anymore, and God's really concerned, and he's, he's explaining this, and he's talking here, and this is God speaking, verse 30, and I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me and the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Where are all those who are behaving themselves wisely? He found none. So God said he looks out among them and he sought for one man that he could find to stand in the gap. How? between God and man, an interceder, one man that would stand in the gap, and he found none. I wonder what he would say tonight. Young people, what would he say about this youth group? Could he find one of you that's going to stand up with biblical convictions? He says that he found none. I sought for a man that should stand in the gap, that should make up a hedge and stand in the gap. To make up a hedge. I found this interesting as I looked at this verse. To, to make up a hedge, I had in my mind considered people that are, are standing around, standing upright, holding out the evil. Holding out the evil. Safety. That's not what that means. That hedge is to hold in and maintain and protect that means you stand up between God and man and you're holding and entwined and you, you close in and you protect those that are on the inside. You have what it takes, young men, to build a hedge like that, to stand up and be a man of God, to not falter, never bending, never bowing. 
That's the kind of man, that's the kind of lady that God is looking for today. Somebody who will not bend, somebody who will not bow. And he found none. Well, tonight, I trust we can find more than one amongst this youth group that is here. So, when we talk about convictions, it's a, it's a, it's a big word, and I want to try to explain that before we even get to our text. I want to explain that. So, a conviction is the state of being convinced. That means that we understand what we believe, and we are convinced we are living by faith. We are living right. We are convinced. And when we talk about applying biblical principle, that sometimes goes right over our head. We must be building on Scripture. We must be building upon what we know is right. It must be built upon the truth of God's Word. We're going to look at what it looks like to stand tonight. A true conviction is an expression of our faith. Can you understand that? A true conviction is an expression of our faith. We're living it out. We're living out what we believe. We're living out our faith. We don't say one thing and do another. We're living out our faith. We're living out our convictions. And we're talking about biblical convictions. That's what we're interested in tonight. Something that is found in the Word. Something we can stand upon. Now I have a little bit more of a simple definition that I hope we can all get. Convictions is simply this. Convictions brings the unwavering truth from the head to the heart. You understand that? So when you're taught... And you hear the preaching, you take it in here, and it becomes knowledge, all right? And your parents have taught you for many years, it becomes knowledge. But that doesn't necessarily, that's a conviction, because it hasn't reached that heart we've been talking about all week. It hasn't got there yet. But once it becomes a conviction, it brings that truth, and we say, oh, yeah. And you understand it, and you apply it, and you live it. There's something more to be said about convictions, but it brings our knowledge from our head knowledge to our heart, and it becomes a part of us. The Bible says in Romans 14, For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Whatever is not of faith is sin. We may not go against our convictions, our heart, what we know in our heart, what we believe in our heart. The truth, the truth of God's word that we hide in our heart. We may not go against our convictions. These are biblical convictions. Convictions are developed. They're developed. They grow through experiences and we mature. So parents tonight, you cannot expect your young people up here to have convictions developed to where you are at. Because your young people are still developing convictions. They develop them. You cannot just put it in them. We cannot just make them have it. It's got to go from their head to their heart, and you need to be putting it in their head at a very, very young age. Teaching, that's what we call it. So we're all at different understanding of Scripture, different convictions. Parents, along with that, I kind of referred to it, but I wanted to say it, it doesn't start when they start sitting up here. When they start sitting up here close to the preacher does not make them have more biblical convictions. It does not start with biblical convictions. It starts with teaching and training, more of that tomorrow, teaching and training, and they, they're taught, and they're, they're taught, and this, this develops. And we hope once they are sitting up here, they begin to develop biblical convictions of truth and an understanding of truth. And there's growth. 
Question. What does it look like? What does youth without convictions look like? We're concerned about youth with convictions. So the alternative, what does, what does youth without any convictions look like? We'll just go down, downtown, right? That's what we're saying. Just go downtown. Just go to the other church on the corner and look at them. No. Doesn't have to be. I wonder what a youth without convictions could look like. We're going to look tonight. We're going to find them tonight. Not here, hopefully. We're going to find them right in here. Did you know there's a youth group in here without convictions? That's exciting. We're going to find that tonight. The foundation for biblical convictions, it's very plain in the book of Romans that hearing and knowing truth is foundational in building our personal convictions. Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And that is where we gain biblical convictions. It takes intentional learning and a willingness to apply, and we apply ourselves to reading, and we, we're open to teaching. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The word of God is foundational to gaining biblical convictions, obviously. All right, parents, we can't really expect our youth to develop deeper and stronger convictions than we exhibit ourselves. We had a, we had a little... I had a little um, illustration from this for this from last night's service. So we are so instrumental in helping them develop their own convictions. So Brother Dan was up here, and he said that it was intriguing to him to, ha to have a child at home that says, Dad, we'd better get going or we'll be late for church. Whether that's a conviction or not, they learned that from Dad. They learned that from Mom and Dad. Now, we can't expect them to, to have a, a deeper conviction than we do ourselves. And so Dan stays home on the, on the recliner there and says, son, you've got to get to church. You know that it starts at 7.30. Get to church. Would he have showed up last night, Dan? Probably not. We can't expect our children to have a deeper conviction than we do ourselves. What is vitally important to you and I is going to be important to our children, and what is not important to us is not going to be important to our children. We just can't expect that. We just can't expect that Sunday morning worship service is the only time I can be at church, but we expect our children to grow and thrive spiritually and be there all the time. preaching to the parents that's tomorrow children are born children are born with a conscience and that conscience needs trained and molded and then we go then then then, then we arrive in our youth here tonight let's keep moving here now yeah convictions don't just happen we kind of understand that by now they don't just happen you might want to remember this so convictions are conceived formed, and then developed. Small, bigger, and bigger. So they're conceived, formed, and developed. That's how we have convictions developed within our hearts. They are conceived by truth. That's what we're trying to do tonight. They're conceived by truth and tradition. So I guess we have some tradition here, the way we meet and worship. They're formed by the environment they're in, by the home and by the church. So that's how convictions are formed, exposure. And then convictions are developed through personal faith. This is for me. And that is why right is right and wrong is wrong for individuals, and it cannot be otherwise. 
And when we do something that is wrong, we immediately know it. It is within our hearts that we're pricked because we did what we know we shouldn't, but we did it anyway. Is this getting too simple? So what I do or what I don't do is based on my interpretation of Scripture. That's simple. I don't do it because it's based on Scripture, and I do this because it's based on Scripture. So we're applying our knowledge. Now, our text, Daniel chapter 1. I tried to help you understand what convictions are. I hope you understand, a little bit like Jesus telling you, telling us how to forgive and then showing us. So I was trying to tell you what a conviction is. I don't know if that really worked, but now I'm going to show you what convictions look like. I want to show you what youth without conviction looks like. Here I find in Daniel chapter 1 what Ezekiel was writing about, a man to stand in the gap. We find them here today. We find them here in this scripture. Man to stand in the gap. So we're going to read the chapter, Daniel chapter 1. And we find in here youth with conviction and youth without conviction. And I want us to notice which is the minority. Which is the minority? Should we be shocked to know or to think that godly young people are a minority in the world today or in society today? It's no different than what I find in Daniel chapter 1. They're in the minority. Young people, as we read this, I want you to identify which youth group you're in. Which group are you in? A youth with conviction or a youth without conviction? Let's read. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, and with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuch, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all understanding and cunning and knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily portion of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. <clears throat> now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and of Me to and to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink, for why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenance be looked upon before them, and the countenance of the children that eat the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest, deal with thy servants. 
So then he consented to them in this matter and proved them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their countenance appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Then thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine which they should drink and gave them pulse. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said that they should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king, king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in his realm. And Daniel continued even under the first year of King Cyrus. Folks, tonight what we have here in this account is two groups. We know the story of the four Hebrew boys, and we read this and we admire them. We admire their, their, their uh, convictions and standing for truth. But what about the rest of the youth group? Now I want you to think about something. They went over there into Judah... And they were given a command to bring the best of the young people along back. Only the best of the young people, bring them on back, alive. Now think about this. They went over there, and they found these young people, and they took this whole youth group, youth group of young people, because they, were, they qualified, and they took them all the way over there into captivity, this is where our story starts. They're all from the same youth group. Think about that. I ask what happened to the rest of the youth group. Could it be possible that four out of 30 tonight would stand in the gap? What a ratio. Now think about it. It says here that these were taken captive in verse 4 and 6. It says children, not too young and not too old, just prime. Now that evens the score. That's, that's all very similar type of people, just like a youth group. Very similar in age. So they came out of Judah. Let's look at this. This youth group came out of Judah. They had all the same opportunities there in Judah. They had the same teaching, the same training, the same schooling, the same temple thing, the religion. I don't know what all was happening with religion at that point, but they went into captivity for not obeying. So they had that, they had all that in common, because they're the same youth group. They played ball together, they played spike ball together, they played volleyball together, they sang together, they, everything together, like youth groups do. There's not one thing different. There's one thing different. They had different parents. Do you ever think of that? That group of people coming out of Judah had all things common except their parents in the whole scope of things, as you look at that. That is sobering, parents. So, young people, what happened to the rest of the youth group? Youth with conviction and youth without conviction. We're going to be talking about the youth group as we go through this scripture, okay? Can you follow that? Is that okay? The youth group out of Judah. The youth group out of Ebenezer tonight. We can identify with youth groups. Now, the king had a plan. These, these children that came out had to be just right. 
They had to qualify. They had to be good stock. But the king had a plan with this group of young people coming out, and he was not going to waste, he was not going to waste the potential and the energy of a good young people, a good youth group. He wasn't going to waste any of that potential. He had a plan to assimilate the youth from their their heritage, from Judah, from everything that they were taught. He he was going to assimilate these young people right into the Chaldean or the Chaldean um, culture. And he had a plan on just how to do that. And it was going to work. He was not dumb. Nebuchadnezzar was sharp. He knew how to take young people from one culture and assimilate them into his culture for his benefit, for his good. And he had a plan. I don't know if you ever saw this plan, but he had a plan. Think about this, young people. His plan was to change their identity until, well, he was done with them. They didn't even know who they were anymore. They had to scratch their head to even know what their name was anymore. They lost their identity completely when he was done with them. This was his plan. His plan was to change these marvelous, strong, spunky young people. He's going to change, number one, their thinking by Chaldean education. So he was going to take take them from what they were taught back then, and he was going to change it, and he was going to teach them with education. So they, they were supposed to come with already knowledge and science, and such as had the ability to to stand in the king's palace. But then his plan was that they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. So his, his plan was, number one, was to change their thinking by education. Tonight that's dangerous. Education is dangerous. Education has the potential to take your mind places And it causes us to stop and think and wonder who we are. It changes our identity. We need to be careful. It works. On behalf of Nebuchadnezzar, this was working. Number two, he was going to change their loyalty by changing their name. Did you know they could not go from Judah to, to, the, to Babylon and keep their old Hebrew name? If they kept their old Hebrew name, they were still Hebrews and they knew who they were because their name meant something. So he was going to take their name and he gave, it says here, who, what names he gave them? So he gave them the Babylonian names, and those are the names we know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and you know the song we sing, we're singing their Chaldean names. So now he has their names changed. So now you have a name change, and you're getting an education in a new culture. Now they're starting to wonder who we are. Number three, he was going to change their lifestyle by changing their diet. Verse 5. And he appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years. Three years, that's all it took of education, changing their names, and changing their diet. See, there are certain things they had convictions against back there in in Babylon. You'd say they had convictions. They were told they may not eat a few things. They needed to stay pure and holy. But when you're far from home, young people, does it really matter what you eat? So he was going to change their diet. So pretty soon they're, they're eating things they shouldn't. They're learning things that are going against their Bible teaching. And they're, they're, they're changing their education, their education names and their diet. And with time, in three years... Those young people are scratching their head and saying, who am I really? I don't know who I am anymore. Your friends aren't calling you Joe and Sally anymore. They're calling us, they're calling you by your your new name. Your parents aren't there calling you by your name. And you're in a different atmosphere. 
Nebuchadnezzar had a plan, and he put it into motion, and he succeeded. But he ran into a little hiccup. Verse 8. Somebody in the youth group stood up. Is that you? I'd love to meet Daniel. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Now that purposing in his heart happened a long time before he got to, to Babylon. So therefore, he had a conviction in here that said, I can't eat that. You can call me Bob, you can call me Joe, you can call me Belshazzar, but I'm not going to eat off of your table. It's in here. I have a conviction against that. It's wrong to eat that kind of stuff, even if Dad isn't here saying don't eat it. So that went from head knowledge when he was young to his heart, and he stood by his purpose. And when our convictions are challenged, young people, we're going to have to stand up and we're going to have to speak up and know why we are standing the where, where we're standing. He could explain to Melzar that he does not want to defile himself. He didn't beat around the bush, did he? He knew. So he purposed in his heart. His convictions were challenged. When his convictions were challenged, he stood up and he identified why, what, he, what he's not going to eat. But he did it in a polite manner. He did it in a respectable manner. He wasn't defiant and boisterous and maybe I sounded that way, right? But it says he requested of the prince. I believe that was in respect. Daniel drew a line. Young people... I want you to, that's something I want you to remember tonight. You and I and everybody here are going to have to draw a line that we will not cross. We will not bend. We will not bow. When our biblical convictions, when we are challenged to do something, we have the opportunity. That's better yet. When we have the opportunity to go against our convictions and we say no, when mom and dad aren't even there to stand by us and say no, we know where that line is. It's in the sand. When we will not go beyond that. We need to draw a line. I said we need to speak up. And here's why we need to speak up. Silence is mistaken for acceptance today. Yeah, remember you used to go and ask Dad, can I uh, take my bike to town? And he just doesn't say anything. That means yes, and you take off and you bike to town because he didn't even answer. We need, we need, silence is mistaken as acceptance. And when our convictions are at stake and we just keep silent, we don't have the strength to stand up and speak, then the rest of the youth group looks at that as being acceptance. You're, you're, you're now with us. Well, so much for that. So young people this morning, or tonight, what will you do when the king's platter is set before you? Today, from day to day in our society, the king's platter is set before you day in and day out. The king's platter is set before you, and on that platter is the king's money, and the king's women, and the king's books, and the king's wine. And it's set before you to indulge in, and you are going to have to stand and say no. We're going to have to have a plan. We're going to have to know that we're not going to partake off the king's platter. It is served up to us time and again, time and again, young people. It's in your pocket. Freely indulge. Do you have what it takes with a device in your pocket? That when you have the opportunity to sin, you do it not. Because you know it's wrong. Let's move on here. God honors Daniel's request. The simple request, God honors it. Here I find four faithful men versus the rest of the youth group. I don't know. It could have been hundreds that they brought out of Judah. We don't know because it's not important. 
What we know, it was four versus the rest of the youth group. What did the rest of the youth group do? How did they fare with their convictions? Well, God honored Daniel's request. And in verse 15, it says... At the end of ten days, their countenance was, what, fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat young people tonight. Those rest of the youth group ate off of the platter that was set before them. That's what the Bible says. They didn't have what it took to say no, and they did eat. The Bible just said that. They ate off of the king's platter. The rest of the youth group, the ones who came over with you, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that, that, that whole group. They ate. They ate. They blended right in. They didn't have convictions. So what happened to the rest of the youth group? I don't know. Do you know what happened to the rest of the youth group? We read that they ate. That's what it says, they ate. I don't know what happened to the rest of the youth group. They blended right into the Chaldean society, and I don't know. I can't see them. I don't know what they look like. They look like the rest of the, the evil people. They look like the rest of the culture. They, they, they ate like the rest of the culture. They had names like the rest of the culture. So what happened to the rest of the youth group? I wonder if we can find them again. Sure we can. Will we ever find them in the book of Daniel again? Well, Before we move on in verse 19 and 20, young people, is the blessing for standing by conviction, for being strong, for standing in the gap. Verse 19. This was the result of one man standing in the gap. Daniel stood in the gap. The king commanded with them, communed with them, and among them all was found none. Nobody compared to Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. And the blessing was that they got to stand and minister before the king. There was nobody as smart as them. There was nobody as wise as them. They were ten times better. That's what the Bible says here. Simply because they stood in the gap. They stood. Now they're ten times better. And we come to the end of chapter 1. But we're not done. Because what I'm interested in tonight is to find the rest of that youth group. We, we know the story so well as we go through this journey. We know the story so well of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and into the fire. And, and... But what about the rest of the youth group? Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. Now we have King Nebuchadnezzar making an image of gold, something like you had never, ever seen in your life, an idol, an image of this nature. You've never seen anything like it, young people. In our greatest imagination, we try to imagine what Nebuchadnezzar would set up and cause all men to come and bow down to. And he ran into a hiccup again. The three Hebrew boys are standing in the gap when their convictions are challenged here. Verse 2, I got a question for you. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together, now listen to this, this big list, princes and the governors and the captains and the judges and the treasurers and the counselors and the sheriffs and all the rulers of the providence. Can you tell me tonight that there's a possibility that, that will, those offices were filled by the rest of the youth group. Did you ever think about that? As they advanced in the kingdom, that they could be standing there and ministering in those offices that I just read. The rest of the youth group.
They were all the rulers of the providence to come to the dedication of the image of Nebuchadnezzar the king set up. And then it goes on and it says the same list again of, of these people. So was there youth in that list of people? I don't know because I can't tell because they blended right in. I can't tell if they were in that group because they blended right in. They didn't look like Jews anymore. They didn't look like the old youth group. So in this, in this scripture here, we have the idol, we have the command, we have the test, and we have the victory. It's a beautiful thing. Verse 7. So the command was given that when the music plays, you know how that was, and everybody is supposed to bow down, everybody is supposed to worship. In verse 7, Therefore at the time when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, it says there, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image which Nebuchadnezzar set up. And there you have it, the rest of the new youth group bending and bowing to the hand of Satan because they didn't have convictions to stand in chapter 1. That's what I'm concerned about tonight is the rest of the youth group because Daniel and, and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they proved in chapter 1 that they're going to stand. So are you surprised in chapter 3 that they're standing? But what about the rest of the youth group? We find all the people bowing down. Caving into peer pressure. Verse 12. This here, this here is beautiful. Verse 12. And there were certain Jews among whom thou hast set over the affairs of the people. Okay, so what we have here is the tattletales coming, and they're tattling. All right? The tattletales are coming, and they're tattling. And look at this. Look at this beautiful thing. There are certain Jews... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego still look like Jews like they did when they came out of Judah. And they're, they're, the rest of the youth group is still identifying them as Jews. They had not lost their identity. They were standing. And they were identified as God's people, the Jews. Did you see that? That's a beautiful thing. Nebuchadnezzar did not change their identity. They would not bend. They would not bow. It's a beautiful thing. So far from home. And they stand alone. When we stand in the gap, young people, just like these Jews did, when we stand in the gap, we, our convictions, irritate those who know they ought to do and do it not. Our, our character, our convictions, our lives convict those who are not living right. And so when they stood there and would not bow, it just irritated the rest of the youth group who didn't have what it took to stand and were bowing and looking up, and there were the Jews still standing, and that really irritated them, and that sent them straight to Nebuchadnezzar and tattled on them. Because it irritated them. They knew that they shouldn't be bowing down. And so what we have in verse 15 is the three Hebrew boys directly challenged by authority. And now if ye be ready at what time ye hear the sound of all these instruments and ye fall down and worship which I have, the image which I have made, he gives them a choice. He says, then, then that's well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? He forgot the power of God in faithful men. Their, their, their conviction was directly challenged by Nebuchadnezzar, and he gave them a choice. And you know what the most blessed thing is? I said you have to speak up when your convictions are challenged. 
They spoke up and they said, we don't even need a second chance, O king. Don't tempt us again. Maybe, maybe that's what they were thinking. Don't even, yeah. No, we don't need a second chance. That's, that's serious convictions. So they speak with confidence in verses 16 and 18. And they knew that their faith, that if, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, we will not serve thy God. Even if God doesn't deliver us, we will not worship the golden image which thou hast set up takes a lot of backbone to stand up to the king and say, we won't do it. That's serious convictions. That's confidence, but not arrogance. Verse 25. Young people, this is what standing with conviction will do. This, this is powerful, young people. Nebuchadnezzar speaking. And he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Young people, every time we stand for truth, the world can see Jesus. And because these, these, these Jews stood, Nebuchadnezzar saw Jesus in the fire. He identified him as looking like the Son of God. And had they not stood and had they bowed, Nebuchadnezzar would not have seen God. It's always safe to stand with Jesus. If you stand with Him before the fire, He's going to stand with you right in the fire. And I want you to notice something, people, tonight, that they were bound and they were thrown into the fire, but they walked out. They walked out. The, the power of influence, people. And we think, we think that's pretty great. But let's look what happens. In verse 27. Then Nebuchadnezzar, uh, verse 27, and the princes and the governors, and the captains, and the king's counselors, you know, that whole list of people, the rest of the youth group, you might say, being gathered together, listen here, saw these men upon whose body the fire had no power. Now think about this. There was not one person, according to that verse, they were all looking at the four Hebrew boys, the three Hebrew boys coming out, maybe the fourth in the fire, I don't know if they noticed him. Not one was looking at the idol. Young people, when we stand with convictions, we turn people toward Jesus. And not one person was looking at the idol anymore. And I don't know if they ever went back to worshiping that thing. I don't know if they did. But you can believe that if anybody bowed down to that idol, they had that image burned in their head and in their mind of the three Hebrew boys walking back out of that fire. That's what they were thinking and seeing. There was no way that they could worship an idol I don't know if they went back. I don't know if they went back because of what Nebuchadnezzar said. Because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. What good would it have done going back to worshiping the idol? Maybe they didn't. And that would have been a good thing. But it was all because three men. Three men stood. And God honored them in a mighty way. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 6. You know, I had to wonder where Daniel was. And there's a question that could be asked where Daniel was. But think about this. It doesn't matter where Daniel was. Wherever he was, he was honoring God. Right? So let's look where he is in chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. So he had... He had some really good friends and really good support through his responsibilities with the king. But here, he, here we have Daniel alone again. And so here in, Dan, in Daniel chapter 6, the question, young people, is where is the rest of the youth group? 
Do you think we can find the rest of the youth group? Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. And it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes which should be over the whole kingdom. Do you think tonight that there's a possibility that at least a few, that at least a few of the rest of the youth group are still holding offices with Nebuchadnezzar? You think that's a possibility that there could be a few of the youth group Counted in this 120 princes. I don't know because I can't see them. Because they blended right in. They just look like all the other officers. I don't know if the rest of the youth group is there. They blended into society. But what if there is some youth from the youth group in these 120 princes? Let's think about that seriously tonight. And the reason this is so serious is what I find in verse 5. So we have Daniel, and what happened is, is it says that Daniel was first among the princes. That, see, that, that becomes the problem. Daniel was first. And so if we have the rest of the youth group and a few or, or a lot of the rest of the youth group and there's 120 princes, that becomes a real problem to have Daniel first. And it's like, mm, Daniel again. Let's get rid of him. They used to play ball together. Verse 5. They're going to they're gonna try and get rid of Daniel here. Verse 5. Then said these men, those 120 princes, now we shall find... We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Young people, it's not even their God anymore. They're going to find fault with Daniel with his God. It's still Daniel's God. They acknowledge that it's still Daniel's God, but it's not their God anymore because it didn't stand in chapter 1. In chapter 6, it's not even their God anymore. That's how it goes when we compromise our convictions and we don't stand upon godly convictions. Then God isn't our God anymore. It's a horrible thing. It's a horrible place to come to. So we have Daniel's convictions challenged again. He's probably about used to that by now. When Daniel knew he did something peculiar or something spectacular, actually, he went and he kneeled three times. He kneeled and he prayed three times a day, as was his practice. Now when Daniel, verse 10, now when Daniel knew, when we know we become responsible, right? So he knew, when he knew, he became responsible with what he's going to do. And I don't think he had to even consider options. I just don't think Daniel even considered options that night. He went and did it. Because that was his practice. Now we like to think that these men were convicted by Daniel continuing to pray. See, they came and they spied on him, and they had a look at him, and they were convicted knowing that that should be us up there praying. What are we going to do? That didn't stop them. Let's look at verse 21. So we have the account of them throwing Daniel in, and he continued to stand. And in verse 21... Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouths that they have not hurt me inasmuch as before him innocency was found in me. And also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. When we stand with God before the lions, he's going to stand with us in the den. Do you see that? Because Daniel was faithful back there in chapter 1. God sent an angel and protected him, and Daniel acknowledged that it was God who was protecting him. And he said so. So when we stand with God before the lion's den, he'll stand with us in the lion's den. 
Now what about the rest of the youth group? Verse 24. Then the king commanded, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and he cast them into the den of lions, them and their children and their wives, and the lions had mastery over them, and break all their bones in pieces over ever they came to the bottom of the den. Was that the rest of the youth group? Was that the end for all those who did not stand in chapter 1? I don't know because I can't tell because they blended right into society, but that is the end for all people who do not stand for biblical convictions. Those who bend and bow to the hand of Satan, they end up destroyed. Total destruction and ruin. It's a sad, sad commentary for the rest of the youth group. Could you follow that tonight? Did that make sense? I remember when I was in the youth group. There are some today who didn't fare very well. There are some that made some very, very, very poor choices. And if we go back before the youth group, there was a lad that sat beside me on the pews back there with my dad, back there somewhere. And he took both of his parents' lives. No convictions. No conscience. Seared conscience. We have to understand, we have to know where we stand. And because Daniel stood, let's look at verse 25 and 27, or 20, 26. I make a degree that in every, every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, steadfast and forever. Steadfast forever. His kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth. He worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth and hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. I serve this God. This God will do the same for you, young people. You can claim that promise, but we're going to have to stand. So because these men stood in chapter 1, they could stand in chapter 3, and because Daniel stood in chapter 1, he could be standing in chapter 6, and he went on to serve kings and in the courts and in high places because he stood. Where's the rest of the youth group, folks? We could go on, maybe, but I think that's enough. The rest of the youth group. The youth group are tight-knit friends. They enjoy being together. Because the rest of the youth group did not stand in chapter 1, they never stood from there on. They didn't make it to chapter 2, if you want to look at it like that. How sad, but today, young people, we must know where we stand we must know what we believe, and we must draw a line that we will not cross. So in closing here, I want to affirm this with a New Testament scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3. Let's look at verse 14 and 15. This is a challenge to you and I tonight, young people tonight, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and has been assured of. Those are two things. We learn and then we're convinced of them. Which thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. So that is, you are being instructed. And he's telling Timothy, you know who taught you. 
And you, and you need to take it and apply it. He says, continue in it. Accepting the instruction that we have been given, and then we continue in it. That's a safe way to go, young people. You hear the preachers preaching across this pulpit, and down in stairs you have school teachers teaching young children, and they grow up. We accept the instructions that we have been given, and we continue in it. That's progress. That is direction. It's a safe way. Instilling strong convictions is not the starting point. I mentioned that. It is not the starting point. But the serious, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ, which you have opportunity to begin tonight, is where it starts. The vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. And if that relationship with Jesus Christ is strained in any way, as we were talking about all week, if that relationship is strained, if that relationship is severed, that's where it's going to have to start. As the relationship grows, the convictions are developed. And I apply the principles that I'm, I, that I'm discovering. And this is what it looks like. We say this. As we grow in our convictions, we say, I used to, but I don't anymore. I used to do so and so, but I don't anymore. I could say that about a few things. I used to listen to, but I don't anymore. I used to go so and so, but I don't anymore. We grow, and we grow, and we say, but I don't anymore to many things. So may God find many here today who are willing to stand in the gap. And I'm wondering if God found any to stand in the gap tonight. So tonight I'm going to give an invitation, and the invitation is for young people who want to commit to standing for Jesus Christ. If you want to pray with somebody, to be strengthened and encouraged. If you're not in a good, strong relationship with Jesus Christ, the invitation is for you. If you have never known Jesus Christ, the invitation is for you. That's where it starts. We've got to start at the foot of the cross. We've got to start under the blood of Jesus. So tonight when we sing, even grandpas and grandmas and parents, if you've been convicted and the Spirit is speaking to you, that you have con compromised your convictions and you know it because it's, you're smitten that you did wrong, that's how we know. I invite you to come forward. I'm going to pray and then we'll sing a few verses of Just As I Am. And you come forward and people, somebody will come and take you and we'll pray with you and may God bless you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you at the point of this service. Lord, we thank you for the, the teachings in the scripture, the example of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't bend, they didn't bow, Lord. We thank you for that. We thank you for this youth, the youth that are here tonight. I pray that you would move amongst us, you'd speak to our hearts, you'd convict us, you'd wake us up, you'd shake us up, and you'd give us a, a heart and a passion to, to live like Daniel did. And Lord, I just pray that you would help anybody here who is struggling to come forward and they would accept somebody to, to pray with them tonight. I just pray, Lord, that you bind the powers of Satan, that he would not be able to hinder this, this service, this invitation, that the Spirit would have free course. And may you move in a mighty way amongst us tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Shall we sing?